0: welcome to this week's edition of dugout Dish podcast i'm andy kirikides joined by my wonderful bearded co-host keith glasser how we doing great how are you got another another esteemed guest this week i'm gonna kick it over to you to to intro this man and then uh, we'll get started
1: yeah, we have um, another gentleman with a phenomenal beard, better than mine, <laughs> arguably, um, but uh, a phenomenal human being, a, a great baseball coach who, who's been in the NESCAC for, um, I know as a, as a head coach for 11 years, and we'll let him kind of get into his path when he introduces himself here, but um, tonight we're joined by Trinity College head baseball coach, Brian Adamski. Brian, thanks for, thanks for coming on tonight.
2: You bet guys thanks for having me
1: i got a little more gray in here than, <laughs> My, than you guys do but mine, mine's getting there daily so chasing our two-year-old around does it to you
0: yep um
1: but before we kind of get into all our questions here um you know just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a rundown of of how you ended up as the the head coach and in, in going into your 11th season here at trinity
2: Sure. And if uh, if you guys don't mind, I think uh, since this is a recruiting podcast, my my recruiting journey as a player was pretty unique um, and probably like worth worth sharing uh, because my coaching journey is pretty straightforward. So I I might as well tell this story first. So um, I went to a a very small high school in Western Massachusetts. Uh, I was in South Deerfield, Mass. It's Frontier Regional High School. So. Um, I guess it's like the small town story where you kind of go football, basketball, baseball, spend the summer playing a little hoop, spend the summer playing a little baseball, um, just enjoying, I guess, my high school experience, not really thinking too, too much about anything else, uh, believe it or not. Um, I know a lot of kids start thinking about the college process super early, but it was kind of just that season to season. And then um, I was able to secure a partial scholarship relatively early from URI for baseball. Um, and I hadn't even fully decided that baseball was a sport I, I wanted to continue playing. Um, but was, was humbled and excited about the offer. And then, uh, summer going into my junior year, I, I blew out my knee in a seven on seven passing tournament in football. And, um, it got really, really scary, really quick. So URI heard about my injury um, communicated with them, told them like my plan to rehab. I ended up I uh, ended up kind of losing that scholarship as it was constructed. now they they gave me some other academic money when they could. but as a as a young kid hearing like my scholarship was gone, it was a very, very tough pill to swallow. head um, was spinning. I probably didn't process it and deal with it the right way. And what I mean by that is I kind of just got got scared by the money going away and I was like, they must not want me anymore. Um, so I decided not to go there. Um, the problem was I decided not to go there and I didn't really know where I was going. So, um, I'm trying to, to rehab from my knee injury. I'm trying to figure out, you know, am I going to be back to play football and have one more chance to maybe get recruited there? Um, probably wasn't good enough to play college basketball. So it was down to those two sports. And, um, I ultimately ran out of time. I mean, by the time I came back from my full knee re- knee reconstruction, um, I had to kind of showcase that last summer going into my senior year and uh, was able to get a scholarship offer. At the time, it was Takeo Post University. Now it's Post University in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, so I went there for a year. I was able to be a two way guy. So I was able to to pitch and play positionally, which I really wanted to do, at least at the start of my career. And then had another injury, um, where it was a serious injury. I got a, a med ball dropped on my head during like a morning plyometric workout, so uh, severely damaged my neck. So I knew I was going to have to sit out a year, anyway, to get that squared away. So that's when I decided to transfer back home to UMass, um, where I spent my my final three years of my college career. I I absolutely loved it. So. Uh, I I am a believer in that everything happens for a reason I could have done without the the pain of the injuries. Um, But I was ultimately happy with, with how everything happened. But I certainly understand as a head coach. Now I I sympathize with kids and families whenever they are in the process, if they just have no idea what to do, who to reach out to, how this works, are they early? Are they late on the timeline? Their head is just completely spinning because I was certainly one of those kids. And then when I thought I had it figured out, I really didn't cause I had to start from scratch. So, um, I think it's great that you guys are, you know, doing this podcast and giving coaches a platform to kind of share their knowledge on the recruiting piece. And, and I know I'm not alone in doing this, but I, I will have colleagues here at Trinity, whether they're, you know, their son or daughter is of recruiting age, or they're just trying to help a family friend. It's like, Hey, can you talk with so-and-so and just answer some questions? Right. Um, because everything kind of seems to be like a, Pay for this service if you want good advice, you know, pay for this website if you want to be, you know, um, recognized and have a chance to play at the next level. So um, it's good to have this as a as a resource to people to tap into. So I think it's great that you guys are doing this, especially as as former coaches. So. um, So anyway, that was my. That was my journey as a player. I finished at UMass. Uh, again, I was, uh, kind of damaged goods by the time I was done playing. I had, uh, a, a major arm injury while I was there that I kind of just like played through cause, um, you know, I, I wasn't ready to like end my career on an injury. So I kind of just battled through some, some injuries, but had a, a good career at, at UMass and, um, I didn't plan on coaching if i did if i did think about coaching it was certainly not at the college level i had thought a little bit about maybe um you know i didn't grow up too far from deerfield academy so i knew of like the the prep school stuff a little bit where i could teach and maybe coach uh, maybe get some free housing as a young kid i thought that that was a pretty good start in coaching Uh, but i i didn't think of of getting into college coaching um so the job i took when I was done and graduated was I started working at a gold's gym in Amherst mass. So right off the campus of UMass. So I was, um, I got my personal training certification just started training clients to make some money, started working some front desk hours there. And, um, Bill Thurston called me at Amherst college. He was there and is like, uh, he was heading into his final season and he had lost a coach, um, kind of right at the start of the season and knew i had graduated knew i was still local um so he reached out to me literally just called me and said you wanna you wanna be my part-time guy you'll work with the catchers and help out with the hitters so that's the the true kind of part-time commitment there that you know my part-time guy has here you're pretty much just doing a different job during the day you're trying to get out on time you're you know breaking the speed limit to get to practice, trying to get to games, driving yourself there. It's like, you show up, you provide whatever support and coaching you can, and then, you know, you do it all again the next day. But, um, that was a a great way to get my start in in coaching because number one, you know, I, I, my first year was under a, a coaching legend. I mean, Bill had been doing it successfully, um, back when, like, when he started Amherst was still playing like division one schools. So, um he had a lot of guys you know play pro ball out of his program he was a, a very well-known coach um you know like i i knew of him being a western mass guy so it was really cool i um even though i was working with the catchers i worked pretty closely with bill and the pitchers so he still ran the pitching staff in his final year so um i was probably more interested on the pitching side stuff than i was on developing the the three catchers that he had given me Um, so I was always just hopping in with the pitchers meetings, trying to learn like what I could about the, the mechanical side of, of pitching from him. I mean, he was, I I don't think I'm giving him too much credit. I mean, Bill was one of the original pitching gurus before like Tom house came along and, uh, Ron Woolforth and these type of, of guys. So, um, it was great to kind of just be a fly on the wall and, and learn as much as I could during his one year. Um, from there, continued doing the gym thing for another year, part time. Uh, it was for a different head coach. So uh, Bill retired, and Brian Ham had an interim year. Uh, he ended up, you know, we ended up having a pretty good year, and he got the interim tag removed right after that spring. I stayed with Bry for another three years. During those three years, it was a pretty uh, pretty interesting cross section of jobs that I I then transitioned to. So. I was I had fallen in love with coaching after the the two part-time years. And the guy at the the gym owner basically like pulled me off to the side and he was like, You're not you're not around here like as much as you you should be. So he kind of gave me the ultimatum of like, do you want to continue working at the gym and kind of take on an expanded role? So I would have been like the assistant GM or whatever. Or do you wanna um, you know, so do you do you wanna work here or do you wanna like just do coaching and he thought for sure I would take the full-time full-time job at the gym. He knew I was making like seven grand at Amherst college or whatever it was. And um, I just remember I, I, it was a very easy decision. I said, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, you know, the, the gym stuff was cool, but do I want to be a personal trainer when I'm 30, 40, 50, like absolutely not. Um, do I want that to be it just like walking into a gym every day and and that being your, your existence and your professional life. so the answer was no. Um, So he gave me the decision. I just said, I I, like, I appreciate the, the job, but I'm going to pursue coaching. So then from there, uh, like I said, it got really crazy. So I applied to Springfield college to get my master's. Um, I knew that was something I was going to need to secure to become a head coach, so I did their sport management master's program, which was a two-year program. Um, while doing that, so then I, I got, I became the full-time guy at Amherst, and I still had to make more money than that to kind of um, to make ends meet, especially with like the the college bills coming in. So then I got a job through a temp agency to work at Yankee candle and shipping and receiving. So I was like slinging candles in backs of, in the back of trucks. Uh, it was crazy. Like such a, such a diverse, interesting group of people to to work with. Um, and I don't regret a second of it. I mean, those shifts sucked. Every second of it sucked. You come home, you stink of candles. Um, it stinks up the whole house. My wife's getting upset. Um, so, because it's not the nice smell of candles, you're just a cross section of like, imagine burning like 10 different scented candles all at once. That's what you smell like. It, it's basically just like a random scent that you come home smelling like. But um with it without those jobs, I don't think I would appreciate where I where I ultimately landed um and where I'm very happy, which is at Trinity right now. So um, so I continued doing that for for my entire, you know, grad school career. Um You know, I was taking classes and teaching. Oh, it's also worth noting because I think this was important for me getting the Trinity job. At Springfield College, I ended up uh, getting a grad assistantship for the chair of the sport management department, uh, Dr. Pantera. So the second year, I started teaching some of his classes. So like assistant teaching some of his classes as like a TA. Uh, So that gave me teaching experience, which is actually really important for me. When I applied to Trinity, it was something that like separated me as an applicant on my resume that I actually had like college teaching experience because I am uh, technically an assistant, now an associate professor at Trinity. I'm not staff. I'm teaching faculty. I do some PE stuff here. So it was just it was an important piece uh, for me to get this job. But um, but yeah, those were long days. It was class for myself at Springfield, also teaching there flying out of there, driving back to Amherst, which isn't, I mean, they're both in Western mass, but that's like a 35, 40 minute drive, depending on traffic. Um, so I would, you know, coach there, get up, you know, log a shift during the week, you know, partial shifts at Yankee candle, just, I mean, sleeping at home sometimes sleeping in the office at Amherst sometimes like it was, uh, those are some long, long days. Um, and, um, Actually, when I was there, the only, at Springfield, the only other conflict that I had and had to wrestle with and sort out was, uh, do I want to stay in coaching or do I want to go the front office route and do like, uh, you know, like big league, like operation stuff. So uh, I had secured for my internship, Uh, what it came down to was I was going to get either get internship for being the head coach at North Adams for the Steeplecats. Or I had secured a job, an internship, a paid internship with MLB International. Um, so obviously, the the coaching one would have been to stay in coaching. If I had chosen the other one, that would have been kind of me turning my back on coaching and trying to make you know make it in like a you know start the front office as the as the low man and try to work my way work my way up. So uh, I ultimately turned that internship down, and it had been it was coaching ever since then. Um. Graduated from Springfield and that year. So that was 2013. Uh, we had an unbelievable team at Amherst College, uh, ran through the NESCAC that year. We were one win away from going to the College World Series. We lost to uh, Ithaca in that regional. That, that was back when it was like the 16 regional rate to the College World Series. Um, so we lost in Ithaca. Um, trying to remember the, they had a couple, Ithaca had a couple pro guys on that on that team. One of them was like, a really, he was a really fast guy. Tim, today.
0: uh, Tim. Tim, oh, Tim LaCastra. LaCastra. There you go. Yeah. He's in the, so that, the Mets, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so that was his, that was his year. That was his like senior year and they had some really good arms. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we, we ran up against a, a really good Ithaca team and we're one win short. And, um, that year in 2013, that was when uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So Decker had Bill Decker had already left the previous year for Harvard. So Mark Lambert was there with Steve Servizi and Ernie May as the interim guys. Um, so I knew that job was going to, to come open, whether they gave it to, to Lambert as like the, the guy that was already there or if it was truly an open job. So I actually applied during that year. During that playoff run, and I, I didn't hear anything back from Trinity. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not in that final group. So we make the run through the NESCAC tournament, which Trinity hosted that year. And the AD was like the site rep for it. And he actually came up to me after we won it. And he just said, hey, we started our search. Um, you weren't part of it, but, you know, it was fun to watch you guys. And you had a, you had a really good run. Like I've heard good things about you. So we're going to add you as like the last interview um of that group so fortunate very fortunate like how how that happened I actually got this job on my 29th birthday um so yeah 11 years here it's hard to believe the two COVID years you can't really count so we had a we had like what a three game season and then a 17 game season so um that makes time feel even more fleeting but uh but yeah, I, I I love it here. And um we built a, my wife and I built a new house in Granby last year, Granby, Connecticut. So we were Western Mass natives up until that point. So finally became a Connecticut resident. Um yeah, and happy to to talk more about this place.
0: We have a lot of things in common, Brian, that I now i'm remembering and some other things so we gotta we gotta chat it up for a minute after we get off this because the the umass connection the western mass the Cats. like i grew up playing like in joe wolf stadium yeah man as a kid it's a good uh it's a good spot so
2: yeah i had uh, i had two summers up there in north adams i loved god it was that you want to talk about a place to like cut your teeth man um I learned so much. I I mean, so the first, I mean, if I'm remembering this right, the first year I met with Sean McGrath, I was named head coach. I think I was 24. If I'm remembering that 24 or 25 anyway. So I I remember I had some, some older kids on that team. So Charlie law jumps out as a, as a kid. I remember being on that team. Brett commence was an older kid. So they were, I was 25. They were 23, 24. And like they're showing up and, and I'm there like head skipper. Um, so it was such a, such a great, like such a great place to get my start, make mistakes, um, really get to learn like how to interact and build trust. Those were two just like huge foundational summers for me. Um, but yes, I, I love Western Mass. I think it was like the, the best place in the world to grow up. Um, I didn't touch on this either, but I was a first generation college kid also. So. Um, you know, my father was, my father worked at the University of Massachusetts, which is also part of the reason why I wanted to like go back there to play closer to home and around my family. But, um, you know, my father grew up on a, a cucumber farm in Hatfield, Mass, like back when, back when you could really thrive as a farmer, um, and make it. And then my mother was born in Poland, came over, I don't know, when she was four five, six years old, um. So, it was like a, you know, there's some unbelievable blue-collar, uh, great town, hardworking people. I just I, – I love Western Mass. Um, it's kind of a bummer, you know what I mean? We had to to, to move in Connecticut just because I loved home so much. But, uh, yes, we can certainly uh, – I'm happy to chat Western Mass baseball with you for sure.
0: Hell, yeah. <laughs> Let's get into some of the recruiting stuff. Like, obviously, Trinity's a little bit unique given – Given its academic profile, how do you how do you typically go about identifying kids? Where do you identify kids, and like what does that recruiting process typically look like for you guys?
2: Uh, it's ever changing. I can tell you that. So you know, my answer to this eleven years ago would have been different than it was five years ago. Um, COVID changed it up again. So it's it's ever changing. I will say that. The one constant is um, I think I have always found or identified our best players here at Trinity from somebody that I trust and that person that I trust understanding the type of players that I need playing for me here. Um, And there's a lot to unpack there. So you have to know, you know, so like I'll get a, Western mass is a perfect example. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'll throw myself under the bus. I was not the smartest, the smartest kid coming out of high school by any means. I was very limited where I could have gone like that high academic doors were not open to me coming out of high school. So, um, you know, you have, you have somebody reach out to super talented diamond in the rough. Maybe somebody doesn't know about him, but he can't hack it academically here. He can't get in here. And it's probably a mistake. Even if he could get in here for me to, for me to to take him because he's going to struggle with, with what he has to do academically at Trinity for four years. Um, so there's that part. Um, I don't consider myself like an old school guy and like hard to play for, but I think, uh, I'm pretty, so, so there's some non-negotiables there in terms of like what it takes to play for me. Um, and you know, if, I'm going to trust a recommendation of a player that knows my background and and knows the type of kid that can play for me and like, and love it and thrive. Um, so that's what I mean by, by the second part of that, like they have to know me and I have to trust them. So that continues to be the the top way. Um, again, the longer I coach, the, the more expansive my network gets. So I'm, I'm, you know, letting more and more people in that I, that I trust. But, um, if you look at our track record, you know, I'll just use this as a, as an example, just on the the front of my mind here, but Scott, Scott Patterson at NEB. Um, and you guys know how small the base world baseball world ends up being. So Scott Patterson, I met as a teammate of mine in the NECBL our junior summer. So when we were both just kids happy to be in Holyoke mass playing baseball at McKenzie field, Scott Patterson and I, you know, became friends and got to know each other. And then whatever, five years later, we're both done playing. He pops up at, uh, at BC camp, trying to talk to players and, and like build his summer team. Um, and I'm somebody that I'm one of the few guys in New England that, that he knows, cause he came from out of the region. I think he's from somewhere down South Georgia or something originally. But, um, so, you know, that, that type of relationship, you can't manufacture that like Scott and I, like, I trust, I trust him. We played together. He knows the type of player I was, he knows the type of players I want to coach. Um, I'm comfortable telling him, no, like, I'll just watch a kid and he'll say, what do you think? And, you know, I'm comfortable telling him, no, he's comfortable telling me, no, I'll reach out to a kid and he'll say, I don't know. I'd like, I don't think you want him." And here's why. So um, that trust isn't built easily or, or overnight. Um, uh, same thing with you know with a lot of that we get a lot of prep school kids so you know uh there's good and bad relationships there on the press side or on the prep side where we've had a lot of luck at certain schools and we've gotten um you know kind of came up empty on on some guys but um the other thing I will say and I was actually just listening to to Scott Landers when you had him on the podcast then um one thing that's couldn't be more different if you're talking about recruiting. So he was saying he can afford to miss on guys cause he can bring in 50, 60 guys, which I almost fell out of my seat. So we're, we're the exact opposite of that. I, I can't really miss on guys. We're now looking at a roster restriction of 29. So it's hard. Like I can't, I cannot miss on guys.
0: I'm assuming that once you've, Once you find out that the kid's talented enough, the the make or break for you is going to be that character piece, then, huh? Like you, and I've, I mean, I've talked to Jason a bunch about some guys, and like, you guys do your homework on kids, and I'd love to hear you talk about that. That like, it's one of the things me and Keith talk about is that for most coaches, the the talent piece is usually the easier part of the evaluation. Like, you can go watch a kid throw and be like, yeah, that kid can pitch for me, but do you want him in your program
2: no question that is uh that is very well said um and before before i forget it so um jay is now my recruiting coordinator he came over on in 2019 and um jay and i met at post as teammates so he was uh, a friend there we're you know we're even better friends now so to be able to coach with him and speak freely. And you want to talk about, again, like trust is such a big word for me. Like uh, I, I trust Jay's evaluation. Um, we talk all the time of like, uh, is this a guy that, that is like a good fit for, for the coaching staff? And is it somebody that's going to gel well with our team? But the, the thing that you said about the character piece, this is one of my favorite quotes, um, ever, and I'm not a huge quote guy, but Bo Ryan, the old uh, Wisconsin basketball coach has the quote, recruit guys you're willing to lose with. And oh my Lord, if I have learned anything, if you're gonna be 500, whatever, give or take a couple of wins or losses on either side of that, if you're gonna have an average season, okay? (laughs) If you do it, if you go 500 with kids that you do not wanna see every day, and a, and you walk by a kid and you're almost like grinding your teeth and listen i like it happens i'm not saying i'm i'm perfect with this like you don't recruit aces every time or not 29 out of 29 but i'll tell you this like i'm going to recruit an athletic kid he's probably going to have to like the weight room if not love it and be committed to it uh because we have less access to our guys than than other division 3 schools so like you have to get better through through the your hours not spent on the field as well, which is weight room time. Um, you have to be able to hack it academically. You have to be able to like fit in with this group. And um, again, if if you're not having fun with the group every day, regardless of the wins and losses, that this is this job. That's that's when the work life balance becomes a problem because your your time spent around your team becomes tougher to swallow. So, uh, I learned that again, I learned that the hard way. I kind of built it up very much with like people I was willing to lose with. And then once we kind of got to where we, we were like really excited about it and we wanted to like, you know, you start talking about like, let's get back to the college world series. Like what's this going to take to take the next step? You look the other way at the character stuff. I did it. I'm telling you, I did it. And, um, I can't recruit over those kids. They're in this program for four years and now they're mine to like manage and mold. And, and now I'm spending my time trying to convince kids to be part of this, um, and, and try to drive selfishness out of people. And just like bad qualities that I think we any baseball person would agree, um, are bad qualities, um, in a team sport. So yes, you are a hundred percent right. Um, recruit guys you're willing to lose with, and you're probably going to end up winning more in the process. Cause you're going to get the right ones.
1: Well, I think the other thing, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I I had this conversation. I was actually talking to coach Rena yesterday or yeah, yesterday. And we were talking about a bunch of stuff. I said, you know, one of my, even though COVID was a nightmare for with what we had to deal with at RPI, like the most, one of the most fun seasons I ever had was 2021. Even though half my team couldn't play, like I only had 18 guys and it was kind of like a, you know, view against the world mentality, but like, it was like, they were so fun to coach and be around. And like, it, it, you know, that, to your point of like, you know, recruit guys that you're willing to lose with, like, and it was a lot more fun than any other year. And like, when you're up against it, having to wear masks everywhere, like do all this, like looking back on it wild stuff, like, you know, it, it was a lot of fun to go through. Um, but I think the other thing, like, you know, as and I think, We talk about this as coaches on here, and I think it's important for kids to kind of understand, too, like when we're recruiting, especially the character piece, I think, you know, you're going to you might pass on guys, not from a talent standpoint, but because, you know, their personality isn't going to work within your program. And that doesn't necessarily like and I think sometimes when we go down this rabbit hole of like the character piece and stuff like. It doesn't necessarily mean that that kid is a bad kid or isn't going to work. It It just means like that kid might not like he might not love the weight room. Like he might not want to be in there all the time. Like he might go be successful somewhere else, but he's not going to work in your program. And I think as coaches, being able to figure those things out and identify those when you're recruiting is just as important as figuring out like, is this kid going to seamlessly fit in from a a character state? Like, are they going to fit in with me? Because it ultimately like if they're not going to fit in with you as the head coach, like that's good. Like, I feel like those times, like you end up having more issues in the long run. Cause like they end up getting along with the guys, but like you grind your teeth at it. Cause you're like, man, you could be so much better if you just were in the weight room more, if you did more of that, you know what I mean? And I think sometimes like I, we get down this, the rabbit hole of character and it's very important, but I think sometimes coaches know like I'm going to pass on this kid because it's not going to, it's not a good fit for me not necessarily because it's a bad kid or you know they're they're worried about other stuff it's kind of that that piece of it where you kind of get mature and realize like yeah I can't coach this kid.
2: Well that's that's how I've said it to recruits in the past is like listen there's no doubt you're a talented player you may even end up because of your academic credentials you're most likely going to end up somewhere in this conference and I'm going to have to like wear this for 4 years but this is your this is not a fit here. Um and the one thing I'll say about our conference, and we have like an, an unbelievable, unbelievably strong coaching group, but I think anybody in the, any coach in our conference would tell you that there's like, you know, Trinity is very different than Wesleyan. They could not be polar opposites or 20 minutes down the road. Okay. But like. You know, we're probably just if you're talking about the student body alone, like we're we're probably one of the the more conservative schools in the NESCAC, and we're right next door to probably the most liberal. Um, so like you feel that. And and when when it gets down to like a, a recruit, and it's like I'm looking at Trinity, Amherst and Wesley, and it's like just go go to the campuses. You will love one, you'll be lukewarm on another, and you'll never want to step foot on the third one. So 100% like it's, you're, you're just not a fit for us. Like you need to trust me now. Like I've been here long enough to know what's a fit and what's not like, you're, you're a good player. You have options. It's just not with us. Um, and you have to, you have to trust that vision, mm-hmm. um, that it's, it's the right, the right path for everybody.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean that the, the Wesleyan and Trinity thing, it, it's like RPI and Skidmore when I was in the, the Liberty league, like they're two polar opposite schools. So like if you're looking at both of them, you have to legitimately show up on campus and be like, okay, which one? Cause like you're going to get on campus and immediately know, have that feel of what it is and be like, this isn't for me or, or maybe it is, you know, but I, I think that, you know, to take like a step further, because I I'd like, I think people need to understand this type of stuff when we talk about it. And not necessarily just at the high academic world. Like you know, I was talking to a family lab I don't know a couple of weeks ago, and they had like a, a high end academic ACC school and a low end like Division one school in the South academically. And it was like to me, and I, I think sometimes like as coaches when we would talk about this, you're like these people like, they, but they like they just have no concept of what not only the baseball is but the academic piece of it. Like you know if you're going to throw out Harvard and Campbell, no offense, any Campbell grads out there, but like, those are two wildly different schools from geographics and academics. Like, like, yeah, they're both pretty good at baseball, but like, what, like let's there's way more that goes into this than just like the, the baseball piece of what your recruitment is going to be or where it is that you want to be recruited at, you know? So I think like, Understanding that like, you know, hey, you could be in the same conference with very similar schools from an academic profile, but they are wildly different campuses that you, you're you going to like one, you're going to hate one, and one you're going to be like, eh, eh, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But like that piece of it that like, you could be looking at a lot of similar schools, but they all are going to like, they're all different in one way or another. And like, that's the important part of actually be, getting out and like getting to those schools and seeing what they do. Um, so you can kind of, you know, make those decisions when you have to. Sorry, I got on my soapbox there. Go ahead, Andy. It's interesting because
0: Brian, we first met when I was at Vassar and you're talking about character being a big piece of the puzzle. And I saw this at Vassar and I saw this at William and Mary's that high character kids who like to compete can impact your program, even if they're not your best players, but At Vassar, I think first year there, we were like five and 34. I mean, it was terrible. We had 14 kids on the roster. And we didn't get better because we got like ultra more talented kids. We brought in some kids who were pipe hitters, who didn't fit the Vassar mold. And then we brought in kids who were athletes and not necessarily like true baseball players. And all of a sudden, you've got a tough kid from Long Island whose dad is a firefighter. And then you've got three multi-sport athletes that come in and it's like oh, you've got competitive kids who want to win who want to get in the weight room and then two years later you reap the benefits of having kids like that in your program and when you can get the talented kids who have those character traits that's when things usually take off um but you're talking about the difference between training wesley and like that's your super high academic we'd run in to nesca schools all the time if a kid was looking at Trinity, we weren't getting that kid. We needed to talk to the kid who was looking at Wesleyan or Bowdoin or Bates. Like the Trinity kid just wasn't they're they're two different types of schools. And you got to kind of come to a realization and like where are you going to pick your battles? But I, I remember that being something that was a big part of why we got better. And it was also something we had to be really cognizant of when we were recruiting kids is, you know, are we we barking up the wrong tree here. Is he looking at schools that just aren't aren't going to be of interest to him?
2: Yeah, and the other piece to that, um, just you know, thinking of you know, Liberty League, Centennial Conference, NesCac, um, is like I, I feel like the liberal arts umbrella isn't isn't a true liberal arts experience anymore. So what I mean by that is like Tufts is a major. Major research university, they're getting pre-med kids over anybody in the country. Um, if you look at my roster now, we're at like 90%, are either econ or engineering. So our econ, our engineering program has really taken off um in the last like five or six years since we've added specialties to that, that major. Um, so that's the other strange piece too, is like uh you mentioned uh uh Joe Arena, like I've I lost uh I've lost a lot of, of guys to him in like the, the STEM fields. And, um, and at least, you know, I guess like knowing your niche can, can save you a lot of, a lot of headaches in terms of like talking with kids. Cause now you can, I feel like at Amherst, the liberal arts, there really allowed you to talk to anybody. And that's just not the case at Trinity. So, but I think there's a lot of schools like, uh, isn't, isn't Vassar like, the arts you know what i mean a lot of uh a lot of like writers and teachers and Mm -hmm. right so yeah you got to make sure you're doing your digging there for sure
0: i gotta ask this and keith obviously is well versed in this but it's an interesting topic because it comes up with parents more often than not the engineer track and i know keith you you two could probably talk on this for a while but it's a difficult track. It's a unique track. It's obviously a highly specialized field for kids to go into and kind of a commitment that you need to make relatively early in the process. What is what does that look like for your engineering majors? Um, and how do you guys handle that from a baseball slash academic balance perspective? Cause I know it's one of the more difficult ones to juggle.
1: Yeah,
2: there are two toughest. Um, I would say like the the third toughest track here is political science, and that's probably the majority of the rest of our guys. I told you about the 90%, but, uh, that is, uh, that's kind of a long winded answer, but, uh, I will say this. So, um, no matter what you choose at Trinity, uh, you are not allowed to, you know, miss class for any type of practice at all. Um, and if you're missing, if you're missing a game, I mean, these things need to be so well thought out in terms of, uh, like I have, I create an Excel spreadsheet for our guys to give to their professors. You know, and sometimes this is like, they're just missing uh, two Tuesday classes or or missing one completely. And you need to get out of another, another class early or whatever it might be. But uh, the planning that goes into communicating with professors to get yeah. approval there, and you may not. So this is why NESCAC teams will show up on a Tuesday. Like we may go to trying to think of who's like our, one of our tougher midweek game. We might go play Salve Regina this year and we'll roll off the bus and probably we'll roll off the bus with 22 guys missing two, three, four starters, depending on like what the conflict is in, in, in any given year. Um, so we're at the mercy of, of the faculty to say like, we'll work with you. Uh, we'll find some like makeup assignments for you, or you can, you can maybe save up some absences and, and maybe miss that one if it's like a really important game. But um yeah, it's 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 truly academic academics first. Um there's a lot of in uh in, in the engineers have a lot of afternoon labs. Okay, those are a problem that's right at the start of practice. So we have guys running down the hill at 4 30, uh, 4 45. Um, if it gets out on time, we start practice at like four or four thirty. So um There'll always be a trickle of guys starting at six o'clock on the tail end of practice. So the way we shape practice is, um, you know, we'll have early work before practice. We'll have our core block where we're going to spend 60 minutes, 45 minutes doing a team block. So that's all of our first and third stuff bunt offense versus bunt defense, having the discussion about like back picks, let pitchers talk with the middle guys. Like there's a team block where we have everyone. And then the slow trickle starts, um where guys will be leaving and then practice may end and we may have some of the guys that missed early work stay and get some an extra round of bp or or like our our left side of our infield will will stay and get some extra work so um it's always start with the academic grid and like see where you can fit in baseball and weight room around it and it's uh Sometimes it's like a laughably hard challenge <laughs> when you're looking at the pockets of time that you, you have to to sandwich baseball into. But um, again, I, this is all I've known. I've been the NESCAC for 15 years. So it's, uh, this is when I think of college baseball, this is what, this is what it is to me.
1: Yeah. I think the, the one thing that at the higher academic levels, if you aspire to get there, um, and, and, especially if it's in STEM, I spent 10 years at RPI. So I, it, like the, the trying to fit practice in around the vast majority of engineer, I mean, we they were the engineer, like it's the Rensselaer engineers, like it's what your the majority of your kids are, but the labs, the, the projects, the, all the stuff that these kids have to do from an engineering standpoint takes up a lot of time, um, and trying to find that to fit in. But I, I think the one thing that at least in my experience when I was at RPI, like those kids are, they're super driven academically. And like, this is true across the the board in all of high end academic sports by and large, I would say, but they're super driven to the point where like they, they're the vast majority of your guys. And if you're doing a really good job from a culture standpoint, which I know that you guys are like those kids that are missing, it's not like one, they're pissed that, they can't be at practice or they can't go to a game, which you like, like, and, and like at the, in the grand scheme of things, like you get it, like you, you can't take them sometimes. Um, But they're also usually willing to do more for you off the field than I think in some other places you, you might not get what you're, what you would want out of, out of those kids. Cause they like, they want to be good, just as good on the field as they do off the field in the classroom. So I always thought like, you know, coming from, I coached, you know, division one and division two before I got to RPI. And I was like, what is this class stuff? Like, not to say that, like, you know, you had guys missing class to go to practice, but like just the sheer amount of class and the amount of guys that like, it could be a like Tuesday, Thursday was a heavy day for classes. When I was at RPI, like you'd get the like Thursdays, forget about it. You might have, you know, I might have 13, 15 guys. For the for like practice so it was like i just flipped it into more or less like individual days especially in the season because it's like you know what you can't really get much done um yeah. you know but i i think like you know Ed, it's something that you you know should know going through the process of, of like it, but if you end up at a stem school and you want engineering like that's that's what you're opting into so this is what it's going to be you just have to know like you're gonna have there's gonna be times you're gonna have to put in a little bit more effort then other people might have to, because if you want to be good on the field and in the classroom, there's a lot of of extra work that has to be put forth by you in order to be able to get on the field and be good in the classroom. But they are, I live that life. I don't envy it anymore. Um, Brian, I I don't envy the position you're in now because that was, I would lost sleep over trying to plan practice with 29 engineers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then the flip side of that. So at UMass, this is a kind of a funny story. So I I transferred in from post and um, I didn't even during the course of my career, I never met my actual student advisor because we had through athletics. We had a student athlete advisor.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I will never I will never forget this. And I tell this is part of my recruiting pitches. Um, if there's any like of my current players, families listening, they'll probably get a chuckle at this because they've heard the story. So I sit down with my student-athlete advisor, and we're building our schedule, right? So um, this is late summer. Um, At UMass, there's 26,000 kids, so it's not like selecting your classes is hard like it is here. Um, I could have taken, you know, really anything that was available. And uh, so he's like, what do you want to major in? I can see you were kind of like sport management. You were starting sport management track. And I, I was so excited because I had thought about this. And uh, I was like, I would love to do maybe like exercise science, exercise science, kinesiology here. And I was like, how about that? Like, I know what I'm, do- I know what I'm going to do. And he like he laughed me out of the room. <laughs> he said there is no, there is no way you are completing this major a- as a baseball player. So the A10 had just gone to uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday single games. It used to be Friday, Saturday with a doubleheader on Saturday. So if you were, uh, if you were away for an a10 series you traveled on thursday you woke up you know i had like a quick workout friday morning and then played friday afternoon so i was missing essentially like thursday friday and then you throw in the midweek stuff tuesday wednesday no chance nope um so he just said try again and that's how i ended up being a, a double major in english and journalism because he asked me what else i i was decent at doing and i told him like i'm a pretty good writer like reading and writing is is good. So there you go. That's how uh that's how yeah that's the D one, choose your route sometimes. Um but again, I was there in fairness to that process. I was happy to do it. I was there to play baseball. I loved it. Um was so happy to be playing like so close to home in division one I baseball. I mean, I, I grew up watching those really good UMass teams in the nineties. That's what made me fall in love with baseball. So it didn't break my heart to like uh to have to pivot and not choose the major I wanted, but um, it's kind of a funny story there. It's not that way at Trinity.
0: Well, I'd like to have you educate the crowd on kind of the timeline and the process for for NASCAC and high academic schools. So, like, 2025s are walking into their junior spring, right? If – where are you guys at and what does that process look like for the 2025 class in, in terms of how you go about getting organized, evaluating kids visits.
2: Yep. So, uh, so here we go. I will start by saying we will have either through our camps that we had at Trinity or just from being on the road, we will have some, uh, and I mean some, like I can even quantify that it's probably 2030, 20, 20 to 30, 2025s. That we just made notes of to like follow um i'm I'm yet to bear the fruit from starting (laughs) my recruiting class with those guys because for whatever reason like those guys always seem to be like you circle back with them they're already committed somewhere else at d1 or they've you know what i mean they're they're kids that are the best players best 25s that you saw is like during their sophomore year the year prior so it makes sense that they're off the board um so we, we it doesn't really do us a ton of good to get a jump on twenty fives so our twenty four class is done and was and has been wrapped up since our early decision one deadline. We're looking at twenty fives but like there's there's really not a ton going on uh, we just started our season, so we're knee deep in in developing our own guys so whenever our season ends sometime in may um it's start with some uh, some high school playoff stuff, Mass Connecticut, New Jersey. Um, just just go watch some of the best teams compete in the state tournament. Um, it's actually really fun to do it there's maybe some prep stuff still going on, but the prep playoffs and calendar are a bit earlier, so we usually miss most of that stuff as well. Um so we start there and then it's uh, June, July, August. You know doing the the head first the show ball the boston classic make a couple trips to the diamond nation um maybe another couple trips to like yafeng to see some stuff and and you're just we're kind of collecting names um we also have our own camps we have uh, one in june one in july and then we have a, a two-day camp in september so this This is probably not a surprise. Our June camp is the smallest enrollment, right? So everybody thinks they're going not to Trinity. They're going to LSU, Harvard, Duke, you know, you name it in June. So nobody wants to like come get evaluated by us. Um, July will gain some momentum, usually up to like 40, 50 guys. And then our September camp, which is when everybody kind of falls back to reality. Um, And we've continued to communicate with these players and families. Um, we usually like sell out that camp, which is around like seventy-five guys, and we'll do two sessions with it, and which is why it's our two-day camp. So, and what's cool about that one is we also have our players back on campus to to kind of like help out and answer questions as well. But um, from there, we will uh, we will start our overnights. So at Trinity, the the way I've always done it, uh, just to minimize class time missed for for kids is to uh, to have them show up Friday morning, go to a, a morning class, have some lunch with the guys, go to an afternoon class. Um, we have uh, we have fall baseball back in the NESCAC, thank God. Um, so going to watch either a workout or a strength and conditioning, or it's like an on-field workout or a strength and conditioning workout, um, dinner with the guys, spend the night, get up, go to a home competition, on campus so either like a men's or women's soccer game football game field hockey whatever just get a sense of trinity athletics um and then you know when we're done it's usually two three four fridays in in a row we'll host five guys every weekend um usually only have to host about between like 20 and 30 guys to fill our recruiting class Um, so we take the commitments uh it's usually like late August, September, October, and then get everybody applied and squared away for ED1, which is November 15th for us. Um, so the only thing I forgot to throw in there is um so we're allowed to get pre-reads done on students. So with the exception of um of last year, and they were waiting on like the what the Supreme Court ruling was gonna be on uh on admission stuff. So they bumped it to August 1st pre-reads. So it'll be back to July 1st, um, which is what it's always been. So starting July 1st, we can get a pre-read on a kid and find out if they're admissible, admissible with player support, no chance of getting in. So like do not recruit. Um, Or if there's like, if they're close, but need to retake a test like an SAT or an ACT, or um, if they're taking Calc two their senior year and they've traditionally done poorly in math or that's been their lowest grade, you know, our admissions, people may say like, we're looking for a, a higher grade and in, in Calc two and things look good. So the, the pre-read gives us like some insight into, you know, who is actually admissible, which is great, but that's pretty much our, our timeline. It's uh it's like a four month sprint from June to commitment time.
0: Yeah. Been there. Um, It's tough to get, this is, this is something that we've talked about before, but it's hard for coaches to get out on the road during the spring, um, during your season, like, and it doesn't matter what level you're at, like, because you got to take care of your own guys. And yeah, if, you know, I'm sure if there's a kid that you like, who's throwing 30 minutes away on a Monday and you guys are off, like, you know, you or Jay might run over there and go, go watch him throw, but it's hard to get out and recruit. And, you know, it's something we did at William and Mary, but it was one day a week. We weren't going to sacrifice missing practice to go see a guy um, because you, you got to take care of the the guys that are there, the guys that are going to help you right now. Um, and I know that, that philosophy might be a little bit different depending on what program you're in, but uh, taking care of your guys that are there, I think is such an important thing. And, um, you know, I know at the when I was at Vassar, like it was, june to october was uh, that's a wild time
2: speed dating baby you gotta you gotta gotta go quick like um it's you know the high academic realm in the northeast is um it is very competitive man you are you know do you do you give kids deadlines do you not um who's on them what do those coaches traditionally do is that somebody that's going to give them a deadline so like I don't love it, but I have to do it if I'm going up against somebody that does. So um yeah, it becomes uh it becomes a ride in your head that you can't get off sometime. You're on like your family vacation, and it's like, should I have thrown this kid an offer, you know, like before he got to campus? And, you know, just so he's like feeling the love a little bit earlier, and because then, you know, last day of vacation, your phone rings and the kid's committing somewhere else. Like it is uh it is so quick. Um it used to be you could be patient and not get burned. So like I, the main reason why I used to like to be patient was to get kids on campus for their official visit. I felt really good about like the overnight being the cherry on top. So like, if you like Trinity, you know, come spend 24 hours with the guys eating the dining hall, sit in class. Like you're going to love it. Uh, people think Harford doesn't have much to offer. Like it, you get and you get an appreciation. You spend a couple of days here. Um, you get an appreciation for like how great the city is. So if you liked it coming in, your chances are, you're going to love it when you're done. Um, but I don't have that luxury anymore. It's just, I, I very few offers go out in the actual fall. Um, you know, with, you know, like late October, all of our offers are out. It's usually just waiting at that point. Um, so it's, it's tough. And again, we can't over recruit. So you're just constantly looking at your, uh, looking at your recruiting boards. Like, are we going to get this guy? If you don't feel good about it, it's like, Hey, let's deadline and make him. let's force his hand. Um, so the high academic D3 thing in, in New England and in the Northeast is, uh, it's become quite a game within the game for sure. Do
0: you guys hammer the Ivy league camps? Do You try to get to those, you know, I know you got Yale pretty close. Like, Harvard always was a really good place for us. Columbia always runs a good camp. And Mm -hmm. I say that because, you know, high academic kids out there, they always default to headfirst or showball, which can obviously be fruitful if you're a good player, right? But we tend to focus on, like, find schools that fit your academic profile. And when I used to work Columbia camp, there'd be seven other coaches. You know, Mike would come down from Middlebury and, you know, mid uh, yep. midkif would come up from exit uh Swarthmore, Like and now you've got Columbia and then seven other really good academic schools. Is that part of your guys' strategy?
2: For sure. Um we go to like we go to about half the Ivy League camps. Um again, it's split between Jay and I. So there's some that Jay uh Jay will do then. But the reason why we don't go to more is sometimes those guys will go on the same weekend. So it's like you gotta pick one. But um like, you know, I've I've always tried to clear my calendar to make it up to Princeton um, back in back when I first started coaching. I mean, that, that used to be as big of an academic event as you could find, right? Cause you're pulling kids down from new England. You're pulling kids out from the South. You're getting some Midwest kids to fly into Princeton camp. So that was like uh that was must see TV um, when I was at Amherst and trying to like build my team at my first couple teams at Trinity. Um, but yeah, we we do. Jay's done Columbia. We've been to Harvard's. Um, we're going to Yale's. Um, so, yes, we we do what we can. There's only so much time in the calendar, but we do what we can. When you go watch
0: kids, what are some things that, that fire you up? Like when you go watch a kid play, like in, maybe not necessarily just a pure talent perspective, but... We kind of flipped this on its head a little bit because we had a we had a guy on who's the, the player development um, guy at Jacksonville State. And he he talked about I look for green flags when I go watch guys like I look for things that fire me up. So, like, when you go to watch a guy play, like, what are the things that excite you during that evaluation process?
2: Oh, man, you guys may not like this answer because um, I usually catch some uh, some bad vibes from people when I say this. Um, I have no problem. I have no problem at all with a kid that has like a, an edge, but like maybe borderline like too much. Um, so I am, I am not a coach that gets upset after like a big strikeout. If you want to like, if you want to fire me up stuff, go for it, man. Like, you know what I mean? Give your team some energy. You just did something great. Yeah. You, know, you had a great moment. It's part of a great day. Fire your team up, give them energy. I mean, there's nothing worse in college baseball than a game where like, no, there's no energy on the field. Like I almost want to call a timeout. I wish it was like a, a basketball game, like call like call my team off the field, like mid inning, just cause it's just flat and terrible.
1: It's the worst. Um,
2: it's the worst, the worst, especially like some of these early games where it's like 35 degrees There's no energy There's nobody in the stands. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is going so, on right now?
1: So terrible.
2: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm I am I am good with I am good with all of it. Like um just thinking of the Coach Bianco's middle infielders had like uh the a couple of years ago they had the middle infielders with like the bleached hair who were doing like the the double play like stuff. And it, it to me it was all like relatively clean. It wasn't it wasn't taking away from the game. It wasn't it wasn't too much. It was just it was energy, it was excitement about you know winning a game you know, making a big play, your team's out of an inning, like, let's go. Um, to me, it's no different than, like, you watch an NFL game, a guy gets a sack, and it's just, like, a quick quick fire me up, fist pump, do whatever you want, like, go back to your guys, and, you know, you see him like, knocking helmets and pumping guys up. Like, the, the baseball version of that is is okay to me um, because, again, the flip side of that is scary. You know, if I have, like, uh, a bunch of Johnny B. Goods on the team – High academic kids, afraid to like piss somebody off, afraid to step out of line. Like, I don't want to be in that dugout that feels tight and uncomfortable. And you know what I mean? Like, who wants to play in that environment? So what fires me up is um, that's why I love the state tournament games. You know, watching kids that have like grown up together, played baseball all their lives together. There's a little more investment there. So I like, I will go just to see that stuff sometimes you know what i mean just to see some energy on the field because i think we can all agree that the travel ball stuff is becomes more about about the person so if you if you started the game and threw three scoreless innings and struck out five but your team you come out of the game and you lose eight two like that kid that started that game is on cloud nine like you know he, he did his job and you know, again, at the, in college baseball, it's not like that. You know what I mean? You you want to do everything in your power to win a ball game. It's not easy to win. Um, so um, that's what fires me up is guys that are, you know, I, they're confident. Like it takes a confident kid to like lay it on the line like that and and like not be afraid of showing it. So um, I like the confidence in a player as well. Uh, so that's probably the best answer I can give to that.
0: Yeah, like kids have got some fight in
1: them. Yeah, man. I like the kids that have the fight, but the I always thought, and I've said this before on here, but I actually and this is a a, a hot take that most people don't agree with me either. So I actually enjoyed like the, the meet and greet part of of showball or head first when kids like because it, to me like if you have a confidence as a 15 or like a 16 or 17 year old kid to walk up and le- like legitimately be able to hold a conversation and talk about the program, the school, like have questions that are are insightful into what it is you're looking to do. like that to me tells me like, okay, this kid cares about what it is that he's going through. And like I enjoyed that stuff and I like there's so many people are like, oh, I hate this, I don't want to be like gonna talk or like yeah but like you can learn a lot more about these kids in these 20 minutes of standing here doing this. And I I like, there were kids that I recruited that, you know, not that I got a ton of them, but there were kids that I recruited because at those events, like they came up and they had like legitimate questions. They were fun. And then watching them play, they were, they got after and did stuff. I'm like, all right, like he's squared away from an academic and uh, 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 what he's looking for in a program standpoint. And I like what he does, like, let's see what happens. Like, I'm not saying all of them are gonna end up in my program, but, it, it was an insight that you know I, and if it's a kid from the midwest so i'm not going to get to see him play like i got to know that kid right there so I, I enjoyed that stuff but i know that i'm in the vast 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 minority on that okay. side of things
2: i had this uh, i've had this talk with uh, a couple of different colleagues so like we I think it's used across all sports, but when you say like, man, that kid has really good actions, like a shortstop, it's just like, man, like look at this kid, like the ownership of the position and confidence is what he's doing. Okay. So if a kid has good actions, how much has that kid worked to have those good actions? How confident is that kid to show you that on a baseball field? You know what I mean? That's why right. coaches like actions. That guy's practiced the hell out of that. Right. When you feeling a ground ball for that kid is like breathing. Yep. That's why he has good actions. You know, he wants to showcase a, a strong arm because he's, he's done his long toss. He knows how to throw. He's got a clean arm. He's got great carry on the throw. Like, mm-hmm. so they work hand in hand. Um, but yeah, like a kid with good actions, you're saying like that kid's confident as hell. Yep. And I think anybody's going to be drawn to that.
1: My other hot take is that I, I, I've, I don't know if I've said this, but I've said it to Andy. I never crossed kids off because their parents brought them a Gatorade because it was super <laughs> hot outside like, I, sure. I've never understood that part of like, oh, mom brought my Like, yeah, it's 117 degrees on the turf. Like, do we want the kid to die of dehydration out here? Like, my wife used to bring me coffee when it was 35 degrees and double headers on Saturdays. Like, am I not tough for this? Like, come on, man. Yeah. Hot take. Big big
0: difference if the kid yells at his mom from the dugout, like uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, the meatloaf. Yeah, Yeah. big difference between that and mom running over and tossing him a Gatorade so that the kid, uh, you know, has a little bit of energy. Yeah, there's
1: no water in the dugout. and It's 115 degrees on the turf. Suffer. Because I suffered back when I was playing. Spare me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is the
1: Keith we need. Sorry. Um, go ahead, Andy. No, I get you. All right. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Brian. I'm super grateful that you were, you've were, you been able to, to join us and talk about this stuff because this is stuff that people need to hear. But um, our last question, as always, what advice would you give to a family that's going through this process right now?
2: Um, I think two things. The first one I would say is there's probably somebody close to you Okay. If you're like if you want to be a college baseball player, um, there's probably somebody close to you. It's like the what is it, the six degrees, five degrees from Kevin Bacon or whatever. You're you're probably pretty close to to leaning on somebody that's a a college coach or has coached college players before. So you're just a good baseball guy that can give you some honest feedback of like set let somebody like set parameters for you a little bit. This is framework. I'm not saying like, if somebody tells you you're a division three guy, you're a division three guy. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying take this advice as, as a coach or, or mentor or whoever baseball guy that has seen guys go to the next level. You trust them. If they tell you like, Hey, you know, you're, you're spinning your wheels. Like if you're a sophomore, as you're spinning your wheels, going to college camp, like, just work on getting better. You know, take take that money or that time committed, that that time commitment and and get better. You know, maybe it's a, if it's a pitcher, maybe get some like private lessons or whatever. Um, dive into some driveline line stuff. Be like make, make a purchase that's gonna make you like a, a better player. Um and again, like it, it's it should be like a confidence builder for a kid. If it's like, you know, I don't know where you belong, but you're a you're a college player, like that should pump you up. Um, because it's coming from somebody that that knows what they're talking about. So I would seek those people out and let them provide like a framework, like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a terrible baseball player. Like I, I'm actually somebody that has been told by this person and probably multiple people that, you know, this is a reachable star. This is a a dream that can come to fruition. Um, Because, and this is the part that this is the ugly truth. There's some kids that I think we can all agree, like, it's just, they started with the game too late. It's not, it's not that they don't have the baseball gene. They don't have the arm strength, the, the speed. They had an injury at the wrong time. Like you, you name it, like it's not in the cards for everybody. So lean on that person and let them kind of like steer the ship a little bit for you. My other advice for, for families that, you know, have a potential collegiate student athlete um, is let your son steer the ship uh, it's going to be a much more rewarding process for him if he's the one doing the work. Uh, this may be, again, this may be a Trinity and NSCAC thing. I get a lot of emails from mom and dad and not the kid. And sometimes it's like a talented kid. And, and like, yes, that is a little bit of a turnoff. I don't want to hear from mom and dad why Johnny is a good fit for Trinity. I want to hear from Johnny, why he wants to be part of this program. I want to, I want him to be excited to, to send me some, some clips of like his last two weeks of at bats and he's been, you know, hitting the crap out of the ball. So, um, if your son can do it, like make him do the heavy lifting, it's going to be a more rewarding process for him. And when he gets to the finish line and shows up on a campus, he's going to know that it was, it was him that did it with, with parent support. Okay. Not, not mom and dad leading the way, And then the kids just like riding the coattails cause he's going to get there. Um, You know, because of that. And then if you know, at some point the kid is gonna have to steer a ship, right? There's parents that can coddle and continue to coddle like after school, but at some point that you got to arm that kid with um the confidence that he can he can chase things down himself. Um you know, be the other advice is like be calculated about how you go about your search. So like at some point it should be a, a wider net, get to know coaches see what the interest is, try to like open as many doors as you can early. And then once you feel good about the response, like, I think this is going to happen, then you can, then you can enjoy the process a little bit more and and do the deeper dive of going to the camps of that specific school, um, going for official visits. You know, that's the, that's the fun part. I know the stress is going to be like fever pitch until it's signed, sealed and, and completely done. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's the same thing I tell my guys, if this isn't, if this isn't fun, um, and and you're not enjoying like this process, you probably doing, should be doing something else. So like, if, if there's not a point where you can like, you know, be level-headed, stay focused on the goal and like, make a, make a good decision for your future. Um, like that, that should be exciting for kids. So that's probably my, my best advice. And the uh, the other advice, sorry, um, I, I, I did not get my training wheels off weight room wise until I showed up on a college campus. And my God, was that, was that a rude awakening? I was like the, I was like the kind of talented giraffe, um, that had to like, look at all these like Ferraris around me and, and all these like Panthers that were, you know, elite movers and way stronger than me. Um, So I'm not saying you need to be, you know, Lou Ferrigno and and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I'll give Carl Weathers a shout out too. that guy was in pretty, pretty good shape, rest in peace. But, um, you know, you, you should, you should be excited about what you can do in there. Um, being bigger, faster, and stronger is in baseball is very, very important as it is in many sports. And if you can just start doing something again, like I always use the excuse of like, ah, I'm too busy for that. I'm you know football just ended i got to start getting in shape get my legs in shape for for basketball so you can always find an excuse maybe you've had an injury maybe you don't like the the soreness that you get from the weight room it can be any number of things but get comfortable in there man it's gonna if you want a chance to play as a freshman and earlier in your career man you can you can level the playing field very quick in what you do from a strength and conditioning standpoint so um get those training wheels off do uh what is it, the Ken revisit thing, get comfortable with being uncomfortable in the weight room. It's not a fun place when you have no idea what the hell you're doing and you're the, you're the weakest guy in there. Um, but man, it, what, it, what it will do for your confidence and the trickle effect of, you know, eating better and just getting more confident, it is a uh, complete game changer.
1: Yeah, I think the, the two things I want to touch on, and all of them are phenomenal points. But one, the... I'll get to the weight room in a second. One, the email thing, like it's not just unique to the NESCAC. It happened to me quite a bit. Like the two things that I'll I'll say about it: one, we're adults; Um, we can tell when an email is written by another adult professional and a seventeen or sixteen-year-old kid. Um, There's semicolons and commas and everything's in the right place. Like I, I know who wrote this. But the other piece of it, and I, I feel like this is the, and it could just be the, you know, what is the Mandela effect or whatever. Like when you have when you read them, like they generally start out with like, well, Johnny's just super busy doing X, Y, and Z, and like you know, you, you it does create a red flag when mom and dad are saying it. But then if you're going to tell me that you're too busy to write, like take 20 minutes to write emails, then that creates more red flags for me. Like okay, like if he can't handle kind of doing the bare minimum work of what you would have to do here on campus, is he going to be able to do it here? And like, it, it, it creates like, you know, it creates a lot more doubt. It creates, a, you know, it, it, there's a lot more that comes out just being, instead of just being like, Hey, on Thursdays for a half an hour, just, you know, copy and paste some emails to these coaches. And, you know, you, you don't create those seeds of doubt, but the other, the, the weight room piece is huge and we talk about it a lot, but I, you know, again I saw Joe yesterday so we were talking about this and the fact of like the physicality between and we've all seen it but the physicality that you see between even your sophomores and your freshmen but the the important piece I think that people even kind of miss out on going to college and trying to be in like being in the weight room and being physical like, you've never gone through the season you were about to go through as a freshman in college like you've never played 40 games 40 plus games if we're getting into pl- postseason the travel, the going to class, the weight room, the living on your own, the eating on your all, like you've never done it before. And if you go in not really giving yourself a chance to be as, as physical as you possibly can be, like you're already going to be behind the eight ball. Plus you're going to lose so much during the season. And you, you know, you've seen it, I've seen it, Andy's seen it, like your freshmen will, if they play a decent amount, they start to break down a lot faster. Then, if they're not physically there yet, they'll break down a lot faster than your older guys. And I think that that's, you know, I would like to start framing it that way when we talk about that stuff on here. Um, just because like, I, like it is super important and we can talk about it until we're blue in the face, but I think the, the piece that we, I think we could do a better job of Andy and I is like saying these types of things of like, you're going to break down. You've literally never done this before. Like, and if you're going to play division two II or three, like you're playing 56, 60 plus games, like, you will break down we all played division one baseball the three of us like we know what that season looks like from a class standpoint from a travel standpoint from games like you will break down and you know being like what changed my career was being in the weight room a lot more i went from 195 to playing at 215 like i was better when i was at 215 than i was at 190 and i didn't lose as much weight and i was more physical and i was able to handle things and I wish that I like, and I was in the weight room probably a little bit more than most kids my age when I was a freshman, but like, again, to your point, like I, I wrestled, I played, I played football. I was like, eh, I'm, I, you know, I was sucked out at 171 being like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll put a weight on when I get to it. And then you get to college and it's like, yikes. Right. I but dropped.
2: even, I'm sure you would agree with this. Even. Whatever that that little bit was that you said, like you were in the weight room a little bit, that that probably paid huge dividends. the wrestling stuff with like the body control and core strength, yeah, like that set you way ahead. It did, There's
1: no doubt. No, but I I, I just think that the, the 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 weight room piece, and I feel like we all know how important it is when we coach, like when Andy and I coach in college, and you do, like you can give yourself so much more of an opportunity to play super early in your career if you can get as physical as you can possibly be as early as you possibly can be so that's how i'd like to frame that moving forward andy i just figured that out while i was talking to brian here so that's what we're gonna do that's exactly why we do this keith
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was uh it's just massive like it's such a game changer for kids, and once they fall in love with it, because you, t- you touched you touch on it, Brian. The weight rooms, everybody loves to go take ground balls and go throw to track man and take batting practice. Like showing up and going to the weight room, taking care of your body, like it's tedious and it's not always that fun. And if you don't enjoy doing that, college baseball is going to be a task and not something. That you enjoy doing because you can't exist without it these days. And kids are bigger, and faster, and stronger before they get to campus. But if you want to get in the mix, that is a it's a non negotiable,
2: no doubt. And we, uh, I've tried to, I've tried to build on that, especially uh, the the mental health and the coaching, the whole athlete that's come under a microscope post COVID. Um, so I've started doing a, like a health and wellness talk with our team. Um, I think I'm qualified enough and comfortable enough with it. And that's like a hobby of mine, just like away from baseball is just diving into all of that stuff. Um, and I was, uh, I was blown away this fall when I did it with our guys, like they were fully locked in, you know what I mean? Um, in a lot of ways, more interested in, in hearing about importance of sleep, uh, being intentional about like your breathing, getting in the weight room, um, all of that stuff. I, we got you know, half our team wearing whoop bands now and and just like tracking all their workouts and stuff, which I love. But the reason why I love that isn't because of like the, necessarily the performance advantages we're getting out of them at Trinity. I want these guys to be set up for life. Like um, you can set up quite a blueprint for yourself. You know, you can walk up the hill here. I'm on campus now. You can walk up the hill to the Mather Dining Hall and get three really good meals. You can also go up there and eat like crap. Um, but again, just like making choices when they're easy, um, is, is really important to do. Like you can just walk up there and you can have the healthiest stuff you can imagine. It's easier for them than it is, you know, for me, especially with two little kids. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to give them, arm them with the knowledge to be able to carry this with them throughout their life. Right. And just be healthier people. Cause I think we can all agree that's a problem in America. So
0: yeah. Love every second of that. That's just phenomenal. And I think it speaks to what you can learn and how important that the players are to coaches, right? Like you don't do that for you. You do that for the kids because it's long-term benefit. It's making sure those guys come out the, end, the other end of your program better equipped to handle life when we all know that once you get out of college, It's not nearly as cool and as fun a lot of the time. Like you got to, you know, being able to handle the real world is it can be difficult at times. And all those guys coming out of your program, like they're going to be well equipped to handle that. So I think that's awesome that you do that.
1: So it creates the discipline, but it creates like, I mean, I'm 37. Like I, I, I'm 37. We have a two year old. My wife's pregnant. My wife is. A spin instructor on top of being a, a head women's lacrosse coach like i don't want to go to the gym four <laughs> or five days a week but like i feel better about it my physically mentally like i i enjoy doing it but like you know what i mean like it's yeah man it, it it's tough but when you fall in love with it and you really do enjoy doing it like there's there's a the benefits are so much more in, in the long run like yeah there's days where i drag myself to like today didn't want to go to the gym but i went for 45 minutes and i walked out and i was like i feel a hell of a lot better than i did 45 minutes ago so i'm glad i did that today but you know i i, I think that's awesome my wife does you know she's like said it on here before but she's a spin instructor on top of being a lacrosse coach so she you know she's huge into that with all of her girls like i want you to be able to you know care about your fitness long after you leave here
2: sure yeah and your kids will uh your kids will reap the benefits of that as well so correct they, they certainly pick it up pick up on it
0: well gentlemen i think that's a pretty good way to end it for tonight uh, brian thanks i know you you got two little ones at home and you're still on campus so really appreciate you taking you know an hour and a half to sit down uh awesome podcast man really appreciate your time
2: yeah Thanks for having me. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Like I said, you're filling filling a major need, which is cool. So good luck with the continued success of this thing. Keep it rolling. Thanks, man.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Tune in next week. Thank you for listening this week. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and smash that like button for us. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at EMDBaseball. If you want to find out what me and Keith do to help families and players navigate the recruiting process, go ahead and check us out on EMDBaseball.com. Take a few minutes to check out our new online academy. I promise you'll get some good information out of that. Thanks again for listening. Check in with you next week.